God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Please, uh, before I pray and get started, uh, Riley at the uh, Baptist Student Mission at TCC uh, contacted me about if there's anyone that wants to help do lunch or help pass out lunch to TCC students on Tuesdays, uh, or at least this next Tuesday for sure, even if it's just for one Tuesday, uh, please let me know if you just have nothing to do on a Tuesday or have something to do but would like to do this, please let me know and we can uh, get you involved in that if that's what you'd like to do. Uh, he contacted me and asked if we had anyone who'd be interested or willing or available to do that, so I'd forward the message. Uh, also, uh, so glad you're here. Uh, I've really enjoyed this deep dive into Genesis. Uh, this, is, this will be the last message on Genesis for a while. Uh, we're going to get to the New Testament after this. Uh, but I really enjoyed this, and I'm looking forward to it. Next week will be a sermon on the power of the dog. Uh, and then after that, we are going to go into the New Testament. There's been the power of the dog. D-O-G. Not the power of the God. The power of the dog. Uh, it's a save me from the power of the dog is a powerful verse in Psalms, and it's very important. Uh, it's been very, become very popular in modern literature, so that's next week. But after that, we can look forward to some uh, New Testament uh, passages leading up to Easter week and all that good stuff. But I'm going to begin reading. Uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Genesis. We're going to finish up Genesis today, Lord willing, and uh, we can begin uh, leading up to Easter in the, in the next six weeks. So we're going to be on Genesis chapter 38. We're still with Judah and Tamar. This is the last goat in clothes uh, deception going on. And we're going to start with uh, verse 6, and I'm going to read through to verse 30. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was, <laughs> was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go, in, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste his semen on the ground so, that, so as to not give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house. Tell Shelah, my son grows up, for he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. It's kind of sketch. In the course of time, oh, we'll just get to that part. All right, uh, dear God, let, let us pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are you are bigger than the hands we are dealt. You are bigger than who we are. You are bigger than our mistakes. And uh, you will always bring us back to you. In your name, Jesus, amen. So as I was saying last week, um, oh, where to start? So I canceled Netflix. And, uh, but then I got Disney+. Plus. I know, it's like out of the frying pan into the fire, you know. Uh, you know, I, I usually I'm not a big fan of Disney, but uh, 
my daughter wants to watch Frozen. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to chuck my daughter under the bus. No, I, I want her to watch, I want to watch Star Wars. I want to watch Star Wars, and I can't watch Star Wars without getting Disney+. Plus. And that's not even how I did it. I really just wanted ESPN so I could watch the student I used to mentor box. So I needed e ESPN+, Plus, but e ESPN+, Plus is in a bundle with Hulu and Disney+, Plus, which means next thing I know I'm watching Frozen and Cars uh, with my kids. Started off so innocently. Uh, but of course, uh, after this has been like two or three weeks, after two or three weeks, I realized that the whole Disney catalog was at my disposal. And I go, wait a minute. There's like stuff from like, I, first I watched Winnie the Pooh from 1977. Y'all remember that? Remember that Winnie the Pooh from 77? You know, where Piglet gives up his house? That was awesome. And then I watched, and then I took my baby son, Castor, and I watched like The Love Bug. I watched all the Herbies because I love the Herbies. It was like reliving my childhood, right? And of course, I, you know I watched the Star Wars, the old ones, and now I'm going to start watching the Boba Fett or the Book of Boba Fett. Or I'm going to watch them in Mandalorian. I haven't gotten to watch those. I'm really excited about it. Uh, but then my kids weren't around. I went, wait a minute. I can watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Who remembers Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah, I wasn't allowed to watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit when it came out in 1988 because my mom was saved. We didn't even have a TV in 1988, like not even a black and white TV. My mom was trying to save me from the wickeds of the world, the idiot box. My mom was like super, like she almost homeschooled me, man. Like I went to a Christian school called Care Paravel, like after Aslan and Narnia. How like super Christian do you have to be to go to a school named Care Paravel? Right, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I go to get Roger Rabbit on Disney Plus and it's not there. Did you know that? It's not there. I'm like, wait a minute. Everything's supposed to be here. So then I Google it and find out why. And Roger Rabbit's not offered on Disney Plus, yada, yada, yada. Apparently, uh, do you want to know why? Can you guess? Can you guess? Why? Oh, Jessica Rabbit? Oh, Jessica Rabbit. That's why I wanted to watch it, you know? But yeah, Je exactly, Jessica Rabbit. And, uh, you know, I, but to be fair, if you actually watch the movie, because I did sneak it in my teenage years, she really does have a heart of gold, okay? She's not bad. She really is just drawn that way, okay? It's not her fault. Uh, <laughs> seriously. But yes, uh, apparently the reason was, apparently Jessica Rabbit had a really negative impact on young girls in the 80s and 90s growing up in their body image. You know, it's, just, it's, it's, ins it's insanely unrealistic and hyper-idealized because, well, it's a cartoon. But, you know, like your average model or pinup or bombshell, whatever you guys called them, uh, had the waist-to-hip ratio of 0.7. And Barbie has a waist-to-hip ratio of 0.54. Jessica Rabbit's was like 0.39, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it's insanely unrealistic and hyper-idealized and just out of proportion. But it apparently negatively affected like anorexic issues and everything else because young girls watching that movie when they're eight they can't reason and rationalize like adults they can't realize oh this is not what i'm supposed to look like but if you look on social media today there's filters and you know kim kardashian or anybody else they like that that expectation of jessica rabbit is what girls are trying to look like and they have a million one filters to try to make it look that way uh, so yeah disney did the socially responsible i'd say the right choice they took jessica rabbit off or took Who Framed Roger Rabbit off to not negatively affect formative young people's minds. And I totally respect that. Uh, but now I have to rent it. Uh, but the reason I bring this up, what does this have to do with Tamar and Judah? 
I think a really good way, to, a really good key to understand Tamar and Judah is just to imagine Tamar as Jessica Rabbit. You know, like, that's pretty much what the biblical text is trying to get. Like, once you understand that's how she looked and how beautiful and stunningly beautiful she was and why everybody was behaving foolishly, that's kind of, it, it explains a lot. It, it really is a good shorthand way to understand God's word. Uh, Judah, like Jessica Rabbit, was not bad. She was just drawn that way. And Judah, sorry, and Tamar, like Jessica Rabbit, all the men in the story act completely inappropriate to her, and everyone just acts like that's normal and okay, and it's somehow almost her fault, you know? And that's kind of what's happening here. Uh, so uh, first, it was her husband, uh, Jude, or Ur, uh, and he was wicked to her, and so God struck him dead. Uh, he didn't just strike him dead. The text says he struck, he struck Ur dead because what Judah's firstborn did was wicked in the sight of the Lord. That joke, there's actually a joke there. The word wicked there is Ra. So his name's Ur, like U-E-R, and he did wickedness. He did R-E-U. Like what he did was actually the reverse of his name. So God's actually making a play on words or a joke about killing him. Now, our God is merciful and gracious. You know, he has grace and mercy to the, uh, thousands, the uh, thousandth generation of those, who hate, or of those who love him, but he does show judgment to those who hate him, and I guess Ur clearly hated him and everything was about. Because whatever Ur did, uh, God struck him dead and then made a joke about it in the Bible. So whatever he did, God's killing him and laughing about it. Ugh, kind of rough, but that's it. And then in verse 7, we have Onan. Onan, uh, his, his brother comes in, and he's supposed to raise up seed for his father, supposed to raise up heirs for his brother and his father. So as bad as he's using and spitefully using and exploiting Tamar here, uh, you know, uh, he's also sinning against his brother and his father, you know, and uh, the rabbis were convinced that the reason Ur didn't want to uh, impregnate Tamar was she was so stunningly physically beautiful, like she was a national treasure and he didn't want her body to be negatively affected at all because it was just so shapely, uh, and that's why he got struck dead. And then apparently Onan, as much as his dad here is telling him to go in there and perform the duty to his brother, you know, Onan could have said, hey, that's not what your son would have wanted. You know, she's a national treasure, but he didn't. He tried to lie on top of everything else, and God struck him dead too, and because he did what was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And this is where... Even a good man or a man that knows God can get it wrong, especially when his kids are involved. I will tell you, my sons, they're six and they're one and a half, they can do no wrong, and I love them to death. And of course, Judah had these sons with the wrong woman. Remember, he married Bathsheba, some Canaanite he shouldn't have married, and they took after their mom, and they were wicked, and yada, yada, yada. But Judah couldn't see that. He probably thought his wicked wife was beautiful and amazing, you know, uh, and he probably was blind to his kids' wickedness. He knew he broke some rules about, you know, marrying outside the faith. But they were good people, and he loved them. You know, that sort of thing. And, uh, and of course, we get another hint at how stunningly beautiful and how she was just drawn bad Tamar was. His two sons die. Who does he blame? Tamar. No. It's not that God just killed them for no reason or because they deserved it. No, she's, she's doing something wrong. Now, to be fair, if my son Jacob grew up to run off with Jessica Rabbit and then he turned up dead and then his brother took up with her and he turned up dead too, I'm blaming Jessica Rabbit. I don't care. 
how much she protests her innocent. I'm blaming Jessica Rabbit. And, you know, and so what he does here is understandable as a father. He totally does the worst thing imaginable. He sends her back to her father's house. And in our minds, that sounds nice. This is actually horribly illegal, horribly unethical, and horribly wrong because she has no legal place in her father's house. Her father is taking her back out of charity. But she, she is legally Judah's daughter. She is legally Judah's financial responsibility. Okay? Judah has to pay the alimony or the pension or the insurance policy for uh, dead husbands. And Judah doesn't want to do that. So he tells her to, in verse 11, remain a, a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up, for he feared he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. He's doing something very shady. Okay? And, of course, he's hoping, just the way he thinks, you know, you know, she's going to be, he's trying to get geographic distance. Who knows what he can do? You know, maybe when she, because he's already a foreigner in the land, right? Maybe he can take Shelah and sneak back to Judah, get back, leave the country, you know, so he doesn't have to marry her, so he doesn't have to marry Shelah off to her and have him die too because he's trying to protect his inheritance or his, 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 his line. Or maybe he's like, oh, maybe she'll, maybe she'll just, a girl that beautiful is probably going to get herself into trouble somewhere else in her father's house because that's basically what he's doing. He's setting her up to fail and entrapping her because she's stunningly beautiful. She's living in her father's house in this other state. He's sending her out of the state. She's not legally allowed to marry anyone. She's like a living zombie. She's effectively legally dead in her father's house. She's effectively legally dead in the sense that she's not allowed to marry anybody and create her own inheritance. And yet he has no intention, but he, and the only reason he's doing this is on the pretext that he's going to marry his third son, Shella, off to her, and that she'll eventually cash in on her inheritance that he legally owes her. And he's doing all of it in bad faith. But of course, uh, she, and she probably knows all this, or after a while she figures it out, but she has no real legal resource to do in that time and place. Let's go to verse 12. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Bathsheba, literally Bathsheba, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, that means he mourned like two or three years and he got over it, or maybe two or three months, who knows, but let's say two or three years, he really loved her. Okay, when Judah was comforted, when he finally got over it, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers. Because remember, he's a rich man. He and his friend Hira, the Adulamite. And Judah's always getting into trouble when he's with this Adulamite. First he goes and marries Bathsheba, this Canaanite girl he shouldn't have married. And now he's going out with him to go sheep shears, or to go shear sheep. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear sheep, oh, he's actually straying closer to her neck of the woods. She took off her widow's garment and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance to Anaim, which is on the road to Timnah. So she actually goes and gets on the road to Timnah to cut him off at the pass, so to speak. Uh, she takes off her widow's garments, and she covers herself up with a veil, wrapping herself up. Okay, now... The veil, I know we think of the, don't think of the Middle East now where every woman has to wear a veil. Back then, only prostitutes wore veils. Okay? It's the uniform of a prostitute. Because uh, what they're doing is shameful, right? And you want to have some anonymity to it. Uh, also, and don't think of like a veil and then like the little Arab Abaya thing. The, is, no, 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 like there was, 
There may have been a robish sort of thing, but there was much more, you know, there was much less coverage. So, and here's the funny thing. She goes and sits at the entrance, it says in verse 14, the entrance to Anaim, the entrance to the eyes. She's going to the place of the open eyes, and she's disguising herself in a veil and not much else, on the road to Timnah. And why did she do this? Uh, she saw that Shelah was grown up and she had not been given to him in marriage. She realizes by now that Judah is cheating her. He has no means, he has no means, he has no intention of honoring God's law. And he's essentially condemning her to being a zombie beggar and have to resort to prostitution anyway. I mean, it's really sad. Why does she have the veil? Because she figured out before this moment that if, he does, if I don't get married, this is what my career path is. I'm in trouble. I need, when my dad dies, I'm done. My brothers aren't going to take care of me. So she's actually already purchased this because this, is, this, is, this prostitution, eventually, eventually prostitution to survive is the life that Judah's kind of condemned her to. We don't always get that when we read the text. So, for she saw that she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, so he's, you know, he's walking by town. He sees her in front of the road. When he's kind of like at a truck stop, you know. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you, for he, had, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. Because, because that would have been legally like incestuous and wrong. She said, What will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. Okay, now we got goats and clothes. She's wearing the veil as clothes to deceive, and now we have a goat. The goat comes back. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it, he said, what pledge shall I give you? Now, I don't know if you remembered last week, but we brought up, you know, the verse, the scripture reading last week was Adam "'Twas the woman, Lord, which you gave me.'" Remember that, it's going to come up. And then I talked about Mike Price, you know, the coach of the University of Alabama football team for like two months before he, you know, did something stupid. And this, 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 this next part shows you the level of Mike Price stupidity uh, involved here. Uh, she replied, "'Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand.'" So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. All right, and once again... He's not thinking rationally here because this guy is stone cold sober walking on the way. And this just shows how stunningly beautiful she must have been or how she was drawn because he's, she basically said, give me your passport, your Centurion Black American Express and your checkbook. And he goes, hmm. she's a national treasure. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm never going to forgive myself. I've never seen a woman this stunningly beautiful like this. Okay. You know, and it's almost as bad as, you know, when Destiny, that was her name, uh, when uh, Mike Price, when a, a young woman ran up $1,000 on Mike Price's University of Alabama credit card after a wild night in Florida. <laughs> yeah, you just, don't, you just don't give the University of you just don't allow access to the University of Alabama credit card to young ladies you meet in certain situations like this, but... <laughs> Destiny's destiny. Uh, so he says, okay, and he gives them to her. <sighs> then she arose and went away, taking off her veil. She put on the garments of her widowhood. So she went back into her mourning attire, her black sackcloth and ashes. And then good for Judah. Well, it's not good for Judah. Judah's not doing the right thing here, sending back the goat by his friend, the Adulamite, to take back to her as a pledge. Man, he just probably realizes how dumb he was. 
okay? I mean, credit card, passport, checkbook. You don't give those things away to anyone you don't know. He's like, I really screwed up. I mean, these are more than that. It's almost like this is the symbol of kingship or royalty, his staff, his cord, and his ring. I mean, what did Pharaoh put? What did Pharaoh give to Joseph when he made him second in the kingdom? All these things, okay? These are the things you have. Uh, what are the things that were passed down from David to Solomon? Staff, cord, signet. These are the, this is the kingdom. So Judah here is literally giving away the kingdom of God to satisfy his own appetites. There's a sermon there. Uh, you know, it's so easy because we're kings and priests of God too. Uh, but, to back, well, I've got nine minutes. All right, so when Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite back to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. He asked the men of the place, uh, where is the cult prostitute who was at Anaim at the roadside? It's kind of funny. His friend here is using very plight language to describe this, this young woman's profession. Before, when Judah's using the words, it's kind of the more cruder slang terms, but we have a very plight, respectful term here, like where is the sex worker who, you know, the, the legal and totally legitimate professional sex worker who just happens to be here. It's like that sort of language, very politically correct, not trying to offend the Canaanites. Where is the cult prostitute who was at the Anaim at the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own or we shall be laughed at. <laughs> you see, I sent the goat and you didn't find her. Yeah, you're going to be laughed at. You're going to be laughed at like Mike Price and $1,000 on the University of Alabama credit card. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's 20 years and we're still making fun of him in church. That's, yeah, this is Mike Price levels of fail. Okay. Uh, three months after, Three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. ESV, you're killing me. And what it says literally played the harlot, as in played the fool, as in a theatric term. Like literally, your daughter was acting like a, a, a prostitute or a harlot. You're, she is pregnant by playing a harlot. And Judah said, bring her out. Yes, his plan worked. She, whether she was bad or he knew she was bad. Look at the way she was drawn. He just knew he had to leave her up to her own devices out there. And a girl that beautiful... Something's going to happen to her, one way or the other. That's just how the world works. He's so happy. He thinks he trapped her in her scheme, or he thinks he trapped her in his scheme to get rid of her so his youngest son doesn't die. And he's like, let her be burned. Whoa. Now, just so you know, this is totally upping the ante here. Okay? Even back in the good old days, uh, uh, when Judah could live like this, uh, you, can't, you don't just burn any woman, Okay? Anybody remember from Bible trivia who you burn? Okay, first of all, we should know from culture. Who do we burn? Witches. We burn witches. But it hey, Jessica Rabbit, if she was a witch, I wouldn't be surprised. She definitely does cast a spell on people, you know. Uh, but that's how stunningly beautiful and a little dangerous Tamar was. So he's like, I knew she was a witch. Now was our chance. We're going to burn that witch. We're going to burn her for witchcraft. But also, in the Bible, though, biblically speaking, yes, so the cultural thing is you burn witches. Biblically speaking, though, besides witches, who else do you burn? No, you burn daughters of the high priestly line that get caught in harlotry. Yes, you can't just burn any woman, okay? 
they didn't take the woman caught in adultery to Jesus and say, do we need to burn her? No, we need to stone her. Like, Judah's being psycho-crazy vindictive here. He's going, he's, he's, uh, he is out of line. He's way beyond throwing the book. He's actually breaking God's law. The most he could have said is let her be stoned, not let her be burned. You know, but deep down, he probably blames her for somehow with her evil magical witchcraft and her stunning beauty killing his sons, right? He's trying to get revenge for his dead sons. Because, of course, even when it's literally an act of God killing his wicked sons, he's blind to it, and he blames this woman, okay? Who else had something bad happen to you or someone you loved, and you blame the wrong person? Yeah, we've done that. That's just here. And here, so he thinks he's trapped her. His plan has worked. He's going to get rid of her. His, his little, and he's also trying to protect his son, his, his little baby son, his last person to carry on his line, Shelah, will be safe. So he's, and Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. And as she was being brought out, ooh, she sent word to her father-in-law. She's good. She didn't publicly humiliate him. And, you know, she didn't jump in front of the bonfire holding his staff and his seal, signet ring and his cords. She just quietly sent these to him. And maybe it's, just divine, maybe it's just divine coincidence. Maybe it's a sense of humor. But she sends, it, she sends these to him in, in private. And she uses the same words he used to his own father to show, Jacob, or to show Joseph's you know, goat blood stained clothes and go, please identify these, my father Jacob. Are these the clothes? Are, are these the accoutrements? Are these the personal effects of your son Joseph? We can't tell. She sends the staff, the seal, and the signet ring, and she goes, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Oh, burn. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her my son Shelah. And he did not know her again. Not only does he not kill her, Okay, he takes her back into his house, gives her her full inheritance, so she's living like a queen, and he doesn't know her again. All right? And this is amazing. What, how now should we live? Uh, well, first of all, uh, if you're not bad, but you have been drawn that way in whatever way, maybe your looks are against you, maybe you don't look trustworthy or attention, you know, maybe like you're just not, you know, if you look a certain way and people treat you a certain way, you know, God understands when you play the hand you're dealt. You know, the Bible never, ever can, once condemns Tamar for doing what she did, despite using all this deception. It never once condemns her. You know, she is being exploited. First she's exploited, then she's lied to, then she's oppressed, and then the law is being used against her. The law of God is being used against her to unfairly kill her. And uh, the Bible does not condemn her once. She was actually the bold and brave person here trying to get God's plan back on track. Uh, and so, you know, we got to be a little bit more humble when we condemn people uh, for things because uh, the law, I mean, even though she may have broken some rules, even though the law was on Judah's side, 100%, uh, God was on hers. I mean, really, there's nothing in the... Judah did not, according to the law of the Old Testament, Judah didn't uh, knowingly commit adultery. Uh, there's nothing in the Bible... Back in the olden days, adultery was only for women, okay? 
you know, men, as long as it wasn't someone else's wife, you could do what you wanted. Okay, that's kind of, you know, so the law is totally on his side here. And, but even though the law was on his side, what does he say when she shows him the symbols of kingship, the signet, the cord, and the staff? Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I since I did not give her my son Shelah. You can have all the law on your side like the most perfect Pharisee of Pharisees and tithe your whole life. And you can still be not righteous. God can still be opposing you. You can still be twisting the law and self-righteously using and exploiting and shadily dealing with others. And God's not fooled. You know, and that's something we need to be aware of as uh, good believers. Uh, the law can be on our side, but God can be opposed to us for how we're twisting it. But to Judah's credit, let's give credit where credit is due. I think we don't want to be too hard on Tamar. We also want to acknowledge that Judah did a really big thing here. Okay? I mean, he made up for a lot of sins. Uh, I think... Uh, first of all, he made up for his son's sins. Uh, he took res- Judah took responsibility here. He made up, I mean, this is the first time in the Bible ever that a woman's involved and something bad happens and the woman doesn't get chucked under the bus or the woman doesn't, take the, or the woman doesn't at least take one for the team, okay? Uh, because she, J- Tamar took one for the team because of Ur and Onan, okay? She was taking one for the team when he was lying and just ditching her out as walking dead in widowhood. So he atoned for his own son's wickedness. He atoned for his great-grandfather Abraham's wickedness. You know, I mean, Abraham wasn't being a stand-up guy. He's like, oh, Pharaoh might kill me. Abimelech, the Philistine king, might kill me. Oh, it's not my fault they might kill me. You're just so beautiful, Sarah. Tell them you're my sister, you know? Abraham was quite happy in a tough situation like this to throw his wife under the bus to save his own skin. And even more beautifully, Judah here is undoing the curse of Adam. He is undoing the sin of Adam. This is the first time since Genesis 3 or 4. This is the first time since Adam said, it was the woman, Lord, which you gave me. This is the first time we see the undoing of that in the line of Judah. He is undoing Adam's sin. Judah is saying, she is more righteous than I He is taking responsibility. And this is a beautiful thing because all of us have behaved badly. All of us, to protect ourselves or to protect our kids, have chucked someone under the bus just in the name of prudence and self-protection. We've not dealt fairly. We've not given someone a fair shake. We've not given someone the benefit of the doubt. But this shows us that when when given the chance, by hook or crook here, when given the chance, if we just really repent and take responsibility for our actions publicly. We take someone's suffering or someone's vulnerable position and make it our suffering and our vulnerable position. God, it it is a righteous act and God is pleased. I mean, honestly, how many of us good Christian men would have let her get burned, even though knowing it was our fault, and then quietly prayed to Jesus for forgiveness later because we felt bad about it and thought we were off the hook. Well, it was wrong, but I asked her forgive. I, I said it was, a, I acknowledged to God it was a sin later. 
No, true repentance is done in the moment right here when you go, oh, this is wrong. I need to take, I need to bear the public shame. I need to bear the public mockery. I need to take responsibility and help this person out. This is what helping the widow and the fatherless actually looks like. So Judah here goes from exploiting and using and betraying the widow to actually stepping in there and saving her. And this is the beauty of that. Let's see what happens. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, this one came out first. But he drew back his hand, and behold, his brother came out. And she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name is called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was Zerah. Because Judah repented and took responsibility and cared for the widow and orphaned and made her suffering and vulnerability, his suffering and vulnerability, the kingship that he threw away, the staff, the cord, and the signet that he threw away, God's kingship that he gave away to a prostitute were restored to him. And this is why Judah became the ancestor of our King David and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These kids she actually, the Tamar had, were the ancestors of David and Jesus. And this is the beauty and grace of our God. Does he, he doesn't strike people dead unless they deserve it, first of all. Second of all, so he does not deny you know, sin. He will give sin. He will punish the sins of the fathers on the children for the third and fourth generation, yes. But our God be praised. He will give grace and mercy and love to the thousandth generation of those who love him. And Judah loved him in this moment. Judah loved God enough to obey him and care about what he cared about, which was the vulnerable and the widow and the fatherless. And because he did that, he got the honor of the privilege of being part of the line, being an ancestor to King David and our King Jesus. And this is good and encouraging news for us because all of us have screwed up in some way. Maybe none of us have screwed up quite like this. <laughs> uh, but we've all screwed up, and we've all had the opportunity to keep that screw up a secret or to not publicly acknowledge it at someone else's expense. But the beauty of our God is he is giving you opportunities. He is, in your human relationships, he is giving you the opportunities to love and care for people. And when you do come clean, when you do repent of how you treat your spouse or your kids, when you do acknowledge and do the right thing, he is gracious and merciful to provide blessings, not just to you, but to your children's 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 children's. Regrettably, uh, you know, bearing the Messiah down the line is not an option anymore. Jesus has only been born once. But there are other gifts that God is going to bless not just you, but your kids and your kids' kids. Your obedience matters. Your obedience will be richly blessed by God, not just in your life, but to your children's and your grandchildren's lives, to the thousandth generation. So my message for you is do not be weary in well-doing. Be encouraged. Continue to fight the good fight of faith every day you have left on this earth because it will not go unnoticed and not go unrewarded by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Go and serve the Lord. God bless you all.